morning, everyone. Pressure's on. My wife is in the audience today. <laughs> so if you haven't had a chance to meet Natasha at some point after the session, take the opportunity. <laughs> that was a good session with uh, Brother Finney with uh, going through John 15. It actually, I think it'll work out well because I was going to draw a little bit on that passage for today's lesson. So I think it was very helpful uh, though unplanned, I think it was very helpful to actually have dived in at least, at least into uh, not the deep end, but at least <laughs> scratch the surface and get into the shallow end of unpacking uh, John chapter 15 there. So we're going to continue in our series, How to Make Disciples. Uh, this message is titled, The Jesus Road and Citizenship. I'm hoping that we'll be able to see some of the practical application of, of today's lesson. Um, my hope, my intention, we'll see how it continues to develop as we move into the later sessions um, tomorrow and the next day. Um, I do want to get like nitty-gritty practical uh, on some things uh, at some point, but as I mentioned yesterday, I think it's very important that we, we begin to lay a foundation. I think those of you who do construction, you know, having a foundation is, is one of the most important parts before you may, you may not be able to, to totally visualize the structure and the house. It may not, you know, from the outside, it may not look like much, but the foundation is, is um, vitally important to having a, a solid structure by the time that we're done. And the reason that, that I feel that that's something that's, that's needed uh, and to take the time to, to lay that foundation is because... I'm sure we all use the terms making disciples, we all use the term gospel, evangelism, the kingdom of God, but we have to bring some substance, some definition to those things because we, we have within modern Christianity today, um, we have a wide range of what that means when you say gospel. Um, what does that mean when you say evangelism? Uh, what do you mean by the kingdom of God? To one group, it may be this. To another group, it may be that. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're building biblical definitions and understandings around these, these concepts. So let's just review briefly uh, from yesterday. Uh, we talked about vocation through salvation, right? That we are saved from something for something. That it's meant to transform and produce something in our lives. If you remember the, the picture of the, of the vehicle, right? It's, it's sitting there. It's not doing what it was originally created to do. And, and someone comes along and salvages it, remakes it, rebuilds it to once again give it its purpose, its value, and, and to enable it to go and do what it was originally intended and created to do. And I think that's a very good way to be thinking about what salvation is. That it's, it's something that we, we do receive. It's not anything we can do on our own. It is a, a beautiful gift from God who does the redeeming and the redemption work in our lives and hearts. But it's for a purpose. Uh, the children of Israel were called out of Egypt, right? They were saved out of Egypt and they were brought unto God and they, were, they made a covenant and they were supposed to manifest uh, his will and his glory. And Peter draws on that imagery we saw Yesterday, he draws on that imagery that we are now a royal priesthood in Jesus, a holy and chosen generation that are called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of where? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. <clears throat> so we're saved 
from something, from Satan, sin in this world. We're saved from that darkness and we're called into the kingdom of light and now we're supposed to go and be the light, right? Uh, a city on a hill. Um, I was talking during the, the short break. There was a, a brother I was chatting with and he was mentioning how having the, the pictures and the illustrations and the slides is helpful. I learned that way, um, so the, I like to use them because it's helpful for me to have visuals. I wanted to, to point out, I don't know if, if any of you have noticed the, the picture in the back of the, the room. Um, that was actually painted by a, a brother in Kampala. Um, he's a very, very talented artist, and um, he, he uh, painted the kingdom, essentially, this whole concept of, of going from creation. There's, there's a tree that's situated at the top of a hill, um, which, you know, pictures the garden, um, you know, and as, as we think about what happens in that story, we talked about that the other day, what it meant to be in God's presence, uh, walking with him, being fruitful, multiplying, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion, exercising, what it means to actually represent, right, to be God's image bearers in this creation. Um, but as we know, humanity has to descend the mountain, and uh, as a result of their sin and their rebellion, and we have water down there that's pictured of descending the mountain and thinking about death and baptism, rising up to the next mountain or hill in the back, which is the cross and what that means for us as Christians and what was accomplished as a result of Jesus's not only his life, but his death, but also remembering that it doesn't stop at the cross because like Paul says, without the resurrection, it's all meaningless, right? And so... There's actually a city that is situated on a hill over top of an empty and open grave there. Um, so I, I love imagery. I love being able to have pictures to, to understand uh, very complex things. And actually the, the skyline that he made uh, that's on the hill above the open grave is the skyline of Kampala. Um, so it's an actual city that we can think of. But, uh, but anyway, that, that is, that's what we're, we're called into. We're, we're called to die to ourselves through baptism, entering into, as Paul says in Galatians, putting on Christ uh, and going forth and shining that light. So the new creation has meaningful demands and results in the here and in the now. Um, new creation starts now. It starts with Christ in his coming and in his incarnation, his death, his burial, resurrection. Um, it's bringing change and transformation as uh, Brother Finney shared in that session, uh, looking back at the Old Testament, Jesus making the claim that he is the true vine has actual meaning to it, that he's actually creating uh, a new nation, a new kingdom that is going to bring forth the fruit that uh, God originally intended and desired. And so once again, where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds, right? And brings completion to that to Israel's story. Uh, the goal of salvation is not for you to go to heaven when you die, but rather for heaven to become manifest in you to the rest of the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we need to start maybe getting reorienting our thinking about the ways that we think about heaven as being this far distant place that 
we get to go to at some point after we die or some point when the world ends. Uh, we need to actually think about it as the place where God is. Think about heaven as being God's presence, being where Jesus is enthroned. And, and we want to not only enter into those places and those spaces, but he's given us the command and the commission to bring that into the here and the now and into our relationships and our communities and our neighborhoods and into this world. And then ultimately we, uh, we had talked just briefly, we didn't get, uh, go too much in detail, but we started to bring some definition to discipleship and thinking about what Paul says when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And my hope is that that can be all of our testimonies, that we can point to and look at people that we're discipling. And once again, it's not about anything that, that pointing to us in, in some sort of um, prideful way, but saying, hey, the testimony in my life is the testimony of Christ and what he's done, and I'm following that way of life. I'm following the way of peace, and, and I want to bring you on that journey. So follow me or imitate me as I imitate the master. <clears throat> One thing I did want to clarify, um, I, didn't, I don't think I really touched on this. I touched on it a little bit, and I think it came out during the question uh, and response time, is thinking about, we need to think about salvation um, as a process, as an ongoing thing. That I, I like to think about salvation kind of in three different phases or three different tenses. The past tense, you know, if, if, if we are currently a Christian, so if you're not yet a Christian, um, this, yet, this, do, this doesn't apply to you um, just yet. Lord willing, it will. It'll be your testimony at some point. But um, those who are is we have been saved. In other words, we've been called out of darkness. That's kind of that initial redemption, you know, for the Israelites being called and brought out of Egypt uh, with a mighty hand and outstretched arms. So we have been saved. And then there's that ongoing process of salvation, that every day, moment by moment, we are being saved because we still, we're not in the promised land, right? The Israelites didn't just get picked up out of Egypt and, and dropped directly into the promised land. There was a journey. There was the wilderness. There was, there was a time of travel to get there. And so that is that every day, moment by moment, we are being saved. We're moving towards Christ and his kingdom. And then there's that future aspect, that hope, right? The hope of we will be saved. And Jesus says in, uh, I believe it's Matthew 24, that those who endure to the end shall be saved. So we, we have to think about it in those three different tenses or three different phases or stages. I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. <clears throat> so I want to look at two stories in the scriptures this morning. Um, this, this session or this uh, piece of it is going to be uh, a little bit more interactive. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> I 
All right, Luke chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 18 and read through 27. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, These, uh, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So this is a very interesting interaction that happens between Jesus and this, this rich young ruler or this rich young man, right? Um, I mean, he comes, he, he, he must have heard something. He must have heard the stories of Jesus, the rabbi. Um, he Probably he heard some of the miracles, some of the things that were going on. And so he's coming and he he's, seems like his, his question is sincere. I mean, we're, we're only reading it. We, we can't we can't hear the inflection. We can't see the facial expressions or anything. So we can, we can only imagine in our mind how he asks the question to Jesus. And let's assume that he's doing it from a, a place of genuine, sincere, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus you know, gives him what he knows, what he's familiar with. Well, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. And he lists a few of the commandments. And the man says that he's, he's kept these things. And then uh, Jesus points out, though, something that's still lacking. Right? He points out that, that one thing that he's holding on to. And if you remember, what's our running definition for a disciple this week? Someone who what? Very good. Yeah, so uh, the running definition that we're using is someone who allows um, Jesus access to their whole self. So when, when we say allows access to whole self, does that mean part? <laughs> does that mean some? Does that mean most? What does it mean? All. And so Jesus finds that one thing and says, that's not open to me. And that's what you lack. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And this young man says, that's too much. I can't. I'm not going to let go of that. Now let's contrast that with another story. And I, I think it's interesting. I, I'm going to... 
assume here, this is my opinion, I'm going to assume that, that uh, the gospel writer here intentionally placed these stories almost back to back. So just one chapter over in Luke 19, we read another story. Starting in verse 1 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be, with a uh, be a guest with a man who is a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to, uh, to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. It's a very powerful story, especially on the hills of, of the story of the rich young ruler who didn't want to allow all access to himself, to Jesus. To think about Zacchaeus who... In seeing Jesus, hearing the stories, he, I mean, he, he wanted to go see him. Obviously, he had heard something, and so he's, he's a short man, it says, and he has to actually climb up in this tree, and Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. And what is Zacchaeus's response? How does he respond to Jesus? He recognizes that if Jesus is who I think he is, Nothing else matters. Nothing matters in comparison to the person of Christ. And so he goes and he, he says, look, I, I'm selling half of, what, half of what I have. I'm giving it to the poor. And with what I have left, if I've done wrong, what's he doing? He's like, I'm not even, he's not even just going to go, hey, I took $20 from you. Let me give you another 20 He says, let me multiply that by four and then I'll give back. I mean, this is not just restitution. This is like, this is extra mile times four restitution, right? I mean, think about the heart behind this because to him, if Jesus is who he thinks he is, this is the only natural response of Zacchaeus. And it's sad to see how, you know, the contrast of these two stories, you know, what's What's Jesus' response to this rich young ruler, to that situation? How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Versus today. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you get it. You know what it means to follow me. You, you get it. Today, salvation has come to your house. Because salvation is not just for something to be received so that I can keep it and hold it, and cherish it, and make sure that it doesn't get tarnished, and dirty, and, 
and bent or whatever. It's not something for me just to hold on to and say, oh, this is such a precious gift. I want to make sure it's safe. He understands that it's meant to produce something in his life, even if it's going to hurt him. I mean, that's probably not easy. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, it doesn't seem like Zacchaeus is sitting down and saying, okay, hold on a second. I've lived a pretty rough life. <laughs> I'm a tax collector. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I've betrayed my own people. Um, so I know my neighbors probably aren't going to be that apt to help if I get into a financial crisis. So let me, let me calculate here. If I could at least, okay, I'll pay this guy back a little bit from what I took. Um, let me give a little bit. Let me put it, let me make sure I have a little emergency fund or something. You know, that doesn't seem to be at all in the thought process of Zacchaeus. Nothing else matters. So I want to ask a few questions. Between this story, the rich young man and Zacchaeus, what do you all like or find challenging about this story? And this is a, a anyone feel free, raise your hand or just start, start talking. Uh, if you have some ideas, go ahead, Dom. Mm-hmm. It's good. Did everybody hear over there? Okay. No. Go ahead. Wow, yeah, that's good. It's a huge contrast to the tax counter, too. Somebody who outwardly, yep. everybody can see, is doing all the commandments and keeping them. Exactly. Yeah, that, and like what both of you just said there, I mean, that is such, you know, and continually we see in the, in the scriptures, like the, the Pharisees and the scribes, like they, like Jesus continues, like, you're far from the kingdom and you're, you're making it even further from, from others. Like you're making it, distant from people and then he he sees the prostitutes and tax collectors and the sinners the ones who the pharisees don't want to have any sort of like let alone they won't enter the house let alone looking at them is is probably too much and jesus is like the kingdom's right there anyway what uh, any other things that that we like or that we find challenging from this passage mm-hmm Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a big challenge. And and this is where, you know, when Jesus gets into counting the cost, the cost of of discipleship, um, you know, in our lives, like, you know, at somewhere, some way, we're the rich young man. Right. I mean, it may may not it may not be money and possessions, but there's what is that one percent? What is that thing that we're not allowing access to? for Christ to have access to our whole self. What is that one thing? Just like with Nicodemus, hey, or sorry, with um, the rich young ruler. This, this, this I've done. And Jesus says, but there's one thing you lack. 
and and that's that's we should be thinking internally. I mean, I I think it's it's this is something for all of us, for myself, for you. What is there within me that I'm holding back from Jesus? That's a that's a great observation, right? He's looking at all the things he's done done right, versus Zacchaeus is like, here's what I've done wrong, <laughs> right? Wow, that's that's a great observation. Go ahead, Nate. The outcomes of or the, the emotions. So the rich young ruler, he he's very sad, mm-hmm. and Zacchaeus is excited. He's full of joy. Joy, yeah, yeah, receives him joyfully. Exactly. I like anytime Jesus talks uh, poorly about rich people and puts them in their place because uh, rich Christians have been responsible for terrible atrocities for thousands of years. Very true. And then I also like how uh, Zacchaeus paid reparations mm-hmm. for people that he did wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I think might be a good example to other Christians. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed Zacchaeus somehow in that one interaction caught something about Jesus' heart. And the first thing he said, he didn't pay reparations, but the first thing he said was half as good as he's going to get to the poor. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to, and he, he could incur potential debt here. Right. He didn't say he's going to give fourfold to those he did wrong to, and then half of what's left he's going to give right. to the poor. Right. Yeah. He's like, he's wow. it in half first. And then. Giving that out. And then he's repaying. Yeah. That's, a gr- that's another great observation there. This is good. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so maybe that's a takeaway. Do we need that same assistance, not just right from from the word, but in yep. the community too? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree there, and I I would say I definitely need that community and others. I mean, we have definitely through the scriptures, through prayer, as we study and we're, we're, things are revealed and we're convicted by them. Um, but we need that uh, to be in the context of a community that, of others that are pushing us towards that, that prize so that we can know what are those things that we're, we're dragging alongside of us, right? If we're running the race, Paul gives, uh, or not Paul, the Hebrew writer, um, Hebrews writer, um, you know, gives this imagery of, of um, the weights and sins that so easily ensnare us. And I get this picture of like um, running a marathon and you've got like chains and a backpack and you're like, like how effectively are you going to be able to do that? And um, there's a certain amount that we can catch on our own. There's a, a large amount that is revealed through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. But then there's a lot that somebody can walk by and be like, you could probably move a little bit better if you took the chain off your foot, you know. <laughs> and and what's our like? What's our reaction to that? Our, you know, a lot of times we maybe we become offended, and that's where we have to to work on crucifying that flesh and be like, wow, this brother's not saying this because he wants me to trip up or he wants to beat me in the race. He's telling me because he wants me to run more free and more full and what God has. So um, those are great observations. Let's go to the next question. Uh, next is, what does this teach us about Jesus? As we look at these, uh, Jesus interacting with these two individuals in these stories, what comes to your mind as we think about Jesus? Uh, I love that it says in verse 5 uh, that he 
mm-hmm. people would have had to get out of the way in order to see Jesus because Jesus was such a big deal. And right. He was a big deal to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's that's a great point there. I mean, Jesus sees people, right? And that, and that, I just, I mean, imagine being Zacchaeus at that moment. Like, yeah, like you said, like, how does he know my name? And out of everybody here, like, why, why me? I, I'm the, he probably thought he was the most un, unworthy, and, and Jesus singles him out. Yeah, great. What else? What does, what does this teach us about Jesus or reveal to us? I'm not sure really where this one fits, but I'm going to question it later. But I was reading a book that someone wrote about the holiness of God. Anyway, she brings up this story because she's like, it's actually a faith problem with the rich young ruler because he doesn't even recognize Jesus as God. He calls him a good teacher. Hmm. Go ahead. Jesus is uh, very honest and painfully practical. Very honest and painfully practical. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, very true. And and so so with that and coupled with what, what you said there, that's very interesting because th- he's saying this is like this is what it means to be a son of Abraham, right? Because remember, there's like various times where um, uh, throughout the, the Gospels, it's like, hey, don't, don't say Abraham's your father. I mean, God could raise up from these stones um, his own children from Abraham. But what does it actually mean to be a son of Abraham? If you remember from, from yesterday, um, when curse enters into the story as a result of human rebellion, um, God raises up one man in his family. And what was the goal or what was one of the main focuses or purposes of raising up that man, Abraham, and his family? In you, all the, all the nations or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Zacchaeus is entering into this. He's understanding what, if, what, if Jesus is who he is, this is the only natural response. And, and so he, he's thinking, one, how can I bless? Though, I mean, he's made his own enemy, so how can he bless his enemies in that aspect that he has made uh, by robbing and stealing and... and um, tricking them or whatever the case may be out of their money um, and he's blessing the poor and that's what it means now to become Jesus is saying now this is a true son of Abraham someone who is not looking inwardly and seeing what can I take 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 from others but how can I live a life that's once again participating in ongoing creation that's focused outward that's giving giving and producing life that's a great observation what else about Dom It's like the rich 
man enters the kingdom of heaven. Mm. It's like Christ says it's impossible without God. And With God, it's possible. possible. Yeah. And he enables these things to happen. Yeah. And maybe that's why the gospel writer, maybe that's why he put them so closely connected because we have this very challenging statement that's like, well, it is kind of impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then boom, here we have a story of, of what God can do when, when a life opens up to him. Uh, someone, uh, go ahead, Natasha. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Um, what did somebody else had a hand? Yep. Kind of like that last thought, but Jesus in the relationship to both men. And when Zacchaeus repented and was humble about his situation, he found himself coming from a distance to Jesus into close fellowship. Mm. And the rich young ruler found the opposite. He was close to Jesus and he had to go away. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Very powerful thought processes coming out. Okay, next one. What does this teach us about man? What does this reveal to us about these two characters that we meet? Not just uh, them as the actual characters, but does it reveal something deeper about man for us? Good. Say that one more time and, and say it a little bit louder. <laughs> one, if a situation is hopeless, or if one instance is hopeless, it isn't good reason to think that every similar situation would be hopeless. Very good. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. I think men have a problem with money or riches. It just it comes up again and again. So mm-hmm. something about maybe maybe particularly men. I don't know, but it's a human problem. Yeah. The richest thing is. Yeah. Very good. Did you? What else? I feel like this is a good example of the Matthews telling us like what it's like and just how they're so willing and like they like lose their identity and like give it up for a new identity and just kind of um like they're so willing and so happy to and it's just like flowing out their heart. I feel like this is just the perfect like you see it. I feel like in man like um being a disciple when you actually like want to Yeah. And so, yeah. There's a, I think there's a difference in disciples and other people. Yeah, when it's actually like a love for Jesus and like an actual like, relationship. Mm-hmm. Very good. It's interesting. This is probably more so on the second question. Um, but think about Jesus' way of communicating. He's not shying away from the hard conversations, right? Like, he's not shying away from the difficulty. And that, I mean, it's, it's probably. I would imagine uncomfortable um, to to have those conversations and to point out the things uh, that like with the the rich young man that that are lacking, um, but Jesus doesn't shy away from those things. I think that's an important takeaway as well. All right, what application 
can you make to your life today? I want, um, if you would like to um, share, I'm going to give everybody just maybe a few minutes just to, to quietly um, think to yourself, reflect on these two stories, and at least maybe write one or two things down um, that you, you think that you can apply or change from your life. And even if it's not, even if it's something you're still thinking through, at least write that down so you can be praying uh, and asking the Holy Spirit to help reveal that to you. All right, it's okay if you're still writing and thinking, and this, uh, please continue to do so. Um, and this is probably something that that you definitely need more, you know, time to continue to put thought and, and prayer into. Um, but since I only given a, a short time window to, to be with you, I have to move on to the next thing. Um, so the next question, and I want you to, to actually think about someone, um, and you can write it on your paper. Who can you tell this story, whether it's, you can tell them both stories, the story of the rich young man or the story of, of uh, Zacchaeus, or tell them both together. But who is somebody in your life? I want you to think at least minimum one person um, in your life. Maybe they're a Christian. Maybe they're a, a believer, a non-believer. Just anybody um, that you can tell this story to. And I want you to write that down. Um, but I don't want you to stop at just writing that down. If you write write a name down, um, whenever you see that person, or whether you call them, or you know maybe they live in another state or another country, um, you know make it a point that you're going to reach out to that person and share this and have a conversation about this story. So yesterday, if you remember, um, Brother Tim uh, talked about Discovery Bible Studies, right? Um, what we just went through was a discovery Bible study. Now, I've, I've condensed it because, once again, we're, our time is, is short. Um, but I was going to share these stories, and I thought, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we do it in the format, um, or at least one of the formats, of doing a discovery Bible study? Um, and what did you all think about that format? Yeah. It's very, say that again. Yeah, it's very accessible, right? I mean, there's not a, there's, I mean, definitely you can, you can uh, take your own time individually. If you're leading a Discovery Bible study, you can kind of go on your own, do an inductive Bible study on a, on a given passage and really unpack it and, and eat, eat the food that comes from it. Um, but very simply, you can find uh, a group of people, sit down, um, pick out a parable, um, uh, a, or maybe a narrative story, um, out of the New Testament, or I mean, even something from the Old Testament, and just simply read through that passage. Maybe offer up a few uh, little points, or you know, especially if you're dealing with someone that maybe doesn't have uh, context for the scripture. So sometimes you might have to give a little perspective or context or background uh, to something. Uh, but then you just simply take them through at least maybe three to five questions to really generate some thought. You don't just want it to be, wow, that was a, that was a nice Bible story. Um, you want to, to have them actually be thinking about it in their own mind. And it's okay to ask, like, what, what did you like or not like? Or what's challenging about this passage? Um, and for someone who's a non-believer that's sitting and, and listening to that story, um, they might 
there might be something that they, they don't like about what was, was shared. And it's okay. Like, like, allow them the opportunity to share that so that you can talk through it. You want to know where they're at with these things. Um, and then you can ask, you know, what does this reveal about Jesus? Or what does this tell us about God, depending on what story? Um, you know, obviously, if you're dealing with a, a story like this, where Jesus is one of the central characters in the story, you might want to ask specifically, what does this reveal or teach us about Jesus? Um, what does this reveal about humanity? You know, that's a great question for them to start thinking within their, within their own mind about how one character is relating to another. Um, and then what application uh, or change can you make in your life today? We always need to try to bring it back to, okay, let's, let's not just be hearers, but we want to also be doers, right? And that's even for someone who, who is uh, a non-believer. You want them to, to be learning to read the scriptures or listen to the scriptures or these stories in a way that, that they begin to think about what it means in their own life. Like, oh, okay, I, I don't know that I'm fully there, Jesus, the Messiah, and I'm, I need to follow all his teachings. I don't know that I'm there yet, but this story, it connects with me, you know? Even though we may be far removed from the culture and the language and the context of its day, but like, like uh, Nate was saying, the issue of money hasn't gone away, right? Um, so a lot of these stories are applicable, and, and people can think about them, and they can begin to make those applications and then ultimately, um, especially if you're, you're dealing with people who, who are Christians, who can you tell? Okay, you heard this story today. Now who's someone else that needs to, to go and tell it? And what was uh, Tim's, uh, even, if, even if it flops, it doesn't go very well, it's uncomfortable, what, what did he say? It's a win, it's a win right? <laughs> One step forward is always a win. I think that's a, that's a very important thing. And we just, it's uncomfortable, but we just gotta, we gotta get out and, and we've got to do it. Um, so hopefully that, that gives you a, a practical tool that you can use. And it's one of those things you can really, um, it's, it's, it's very basic. And you can really kind of fine tune it for your situation um, or your audience or whatever that may be. But I, I find it's a very um, useful way to, uh, to just begin uh, connecting with people on a deeper level. Uh, now, there's a, there's a whole nother, we're not even going to go into that, there's a whole nother level um, of doing like Discovery Bible studies and different things. Um, that's the world of storying. Uh, when you're dealing with cultures uh, that are predominantly oral cultures um, that don't either A, have a, a high number of people that are re uh, reading and writing, um, they predominantly, like oral learners are, have their, their memory is impeccable. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we'll, you know, we sit through a sermon or something, you know, we always got to be, and I'm, I'm right there too, got to take notes down, make a little, um, pin a little note somewhere so that we can recall it. With oral learners, they do all that in their mind. It's, they're, they're phenomenal. They're extremely smart in their ability to transmit stories uh, and tell others. And the accuracy is, it's, um, it's very, um, it's very admirable the way that they can remember things. And so there's a whole other realm where you could, you learn a Bible story and then you actually, instead of reading the text, you, you tell it and you engage with your audience and you get them to retell it back to you. And then you, you do that several times and then you can go through these series of stories. So that's, that's, that's kind of a whole other topic or subject on its own. Um, but I'm just letting you know, you can get into all of this and there's a lot of fun and exciting ways that you can make it engaging. All right, so 
I want to transition a little bit here. Um, it's still applicable because we've got two instances where we're talking about people who are interested in salvation, right? Uh, I mean, one explicitly, the rich young man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so now we're going to look at um, a couple different roads. Um, one <laughs> called the Romans road, uh, and we're going to contrast it to the Matthew road. Uh, not Matthew Milioni. <laughs> um, <laughs> just there's too many, too many Matthews going on. Um, we're talking about the gospel of Matthew. So if I say Romans road, um, is everybody familiar with that terminology at least or heard it on some, some level? Okay, uh, very good. Um, Paul definitely didn't know what the Romans road was. Um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely could say uh, Jesus and others aren't, aren't very familiar with it. So simply, uh, I'm, I'm going to distill it down. Um, I know there's a, there's, very, there's a lot of different variations on the, what, what people call the Romans road to salvation. So for those of you who didn't raise your hand or don't know, um, this is a way that people use to to win souls for Christ, to bring people to what they would call salvation. Um, and it's called the Romans Road. And typically, it, it's, some, it's a formula that follows the line, you need to acknowledge and admit that you are a sinner, that God loves you, he has a plan for your life, uh, you've sinned, and that has caused separation, and God sent his son to die on a cross to deal with that sin problem so that if you accept his free gift, you can go to heaven when you die. Now, that's a very... I'm condensing that a lot, they, variations of that, but I think that's a simple way of, of thinking about how the Romans road works. So you admit you're a sinner, you accept that free gift of salvation through the finished work of Jesus on the cross as payment for your sins. You confess with your mouth and believe um, that Jesus is Lord. And then typically, a lot of times, they'll, they'll lead whoever the individual is, they'll lead them through a prayer um, some sort of a prayer asking Jesus to come into their heart and to forgive them of their sins and to be your personal savior. <clears throat> and then at that point, all your sins are now forgiven and the gift of heaven is a sure thing for you. Um, raise your hand if you're familiar with that, if that, okay, good. So it seems like a, a good number of people are. The challenging piece for me is when we look at all the conversions in the Bible, this formula just does not seem to match or fit. Um, there are some true aspects out of it. I mean, are we, are we sinners and do we need to recognize that? Absolutely. Um, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we need to understand and accept that, that salvation is something that God has done and is doing and that we get to be recipients and participants participants in that. Um, absolutely, we do need to confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. Um, but the way in which that's done as a mode of evangelism, um, I believe is, is, is not, it's not producing what Jesus wants out of disciples. Um, <laughs> the way that I've thought about it before, I, I've thought about it in terms of this. It's like if you're on an airplane and something goes wrong and you have to, you have to jump out of the airplane and instead of handing out uh, parachutes, you're, they hand out backpacks. 
And so when, you, when the time comes and you jump out and you're, you're ready to pull, you're pulling and, oh, that's, that's the strap that just tightens it. It's a backpack. I'm not wearing a parachute. Um, it's, uh, I think it, uh, God can and, and, I'm, and has at various times worked through our imperfect means of wanting to evangelize and make disciples and to teach others. Um, but we also have a duty and a responsibility ourselves to obey Jesus, to do what Jesus says, and to do it the way that Jesus tells us to do it. So I want to contrast that now with the Matthew road. So um, I don't think we'll have time to go through each of these verses. Okay, I'm going to just make the assumption, the references are here, that for the most part, um, our audience here is fairly familiar with each of these passages and the stories that relate to them. Um, so you have the references. So I'll, I'll try to run through them just quickly. Maybe we'll look at a, a handful of them. But <clears throat> Matthew 4, 17, right? Jesus is, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 19, he's saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? This has been a very, almost a theme verse, uh, a theme verse, a theme verse <laughs> for, <laughs> for this week. Um, too many E's in, in there. A theme verse for, the, for this week is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is something, as again, I said yesterday, this should be intertwined in the DNA of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are actively making disciples. Disciples make disciples. But the, the initial call is to, to come and repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 19, he says to follow me. You go to chapter 9, it's the same thing. Repent and follow me. So the initial call of, of Jesus' message is one to repent. Now, I, I like to, I try to think of things in a, in a very practical term. Repentance is not just an acknowledgement that you did something wrong. It's not just, oh, messed up, sorry about that. It's, it's, a, it's a complete turnaround. It's a, it's a metamorphosis. It's going one way. So if, if I'm walking this direction and I stop and I turn around and I start walking this direction, that's repentance. It's a recognition of going. It's a change of mind that produces a change of action. So it's not just in the mind. It's not just a, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that, or oh, I did do that, sorry about that. It's a change of mind that produces a change of action. Matthew chapter five, verse 20, um, Jesus calls us to be righteous, right? This is the beginning of the, the sermon on, on the mount. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So it's a call to repent. It's a call to be righteous. <clears throat> Continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we talked, uh, I think it was uh, brought out during the um, inductive Bible study this morning in John 15, but it's this call to be perfect and complete. That Jesus is, is calling us to be perfect and complete in him. Um, let's, if somebody has their Bible, could you go over to Matthew 19 and read 16 through 21? We'll, we'll at least look at a few handful of these verses. Go ahead and read it. Whoever gets there first. And behold, one came to him and said, teacher, what good 
said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into his life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Very good. So this is a should be a, a familiar story from this morning, right? Um, this is the, the same story that we read in Luke. This is Matthew's account of this story. And what does he say here? If you want to be complete, here's what you need to do. Whole self. Not holding back, not withholding, open and letting go. Um, so it's a call to be perfect, to be complete, to let go, to open ourselves up and let go and let Christ. What, what does John say? John says that he must decrease or, or sorry I, that, that John John is saying I must decrease and he yeah when I met he or when I said he I met John I, he John must decrease and Jesus must increase I thought about it as I said it wait a second it's <laughs> the he could be confusing um, and and that's 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 the mindset of a disciple right um, Matthew chapter 7 oh this is this is a, a one um, a very powerful one where he, he says, you know, many people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name and do many wonders in your name? And Jesus says that he will come to them and say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And he goes on to say that, that narrow is the way which leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction, Right. And few will find it. Few will find it. When you go back through the Old Testament stories, I mean, once again, we have to think about these conversations Jesus is having. He's having them with Jews, okay? So they, they have the story of Israel in their mind. And if we think about these stories of, of a few being saved, it gets, it gets a little unsettling if you actually think about it. We have the story of Noah, and we have the rest of the known world at that time, however many that, that is, and how many are saved? Eight, right? Noah, his wife, their sons, and their wives. Eight out of however many back in that day, a few will be saved. We get to the story of, of Israel, and they've, they've come out of the promised land. God has done an amazing work in them as a people, as a community, and brought them out in a mighty way. And eventually, <laughs> because of their own rebellion and, and, and discontentedness, uh, it takes a little bit longer than it should have to get them to the, to the promised land. Um, and eventually, they don't even get to enter except for out of over 600,000 men of fighting age. That does not include women and children. 600,000 men of fighting age. How many make it in? Two. Two. Narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. There's example after example after example, and Jesus is drawing on that and saying, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way which leads to life, and there's only a few who will find it. Not everybody who calls me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but him who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, uh, Matthew 7, uh, 21, uh, obedience is life. Can somebody read Matthew 21, verses 28 through 31? Thank you. So which of the two did the will of his father? The one who said he would and didn't go, or the one who said he wouldn't but did go? Yeah, the one who said, I'm not going to do it, but then I guess recognized, you know what? Father has asked this of me. I will go and do it. That's the one who does it. It's, it's, it's not about, there's, there's a saying um, in, the, in the early church that we don't speak great things, we live them. It should be known by, by our lives. It's not about having the words and saying all the right things. Now, I know that, that many times we're put in situations, maybe in our churches, maybe in our families, maybe in our, our, our school or work or whatever, wherever it is, that it's like, let me just, we just I just, I got to play the part, right? I got to say the right things. Jesus is like, that's not really interested in that. I, you know, your yes, you know, your, your words, show me with your life. So obedience is life. Obedience has us moving closer to God. Disobedience has us moving away from God. Okay, so we talked about uh, it being a call to repent, a call to righteousness, a call to be perfect or complete. Finding that narrow way that a few will be on. Uh, obedience is life. The next is uh, it's a call to lose your life. Jesus says, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. <laughs> it's Once again, it's that whole self opened up. <clears throat> Come to Jesus and learn. Um, my burden is easy and, and my yoke is like, or, or my, uh, my yoke is, uh, come and learn of me for uh, my yoke is, is easy and light. And uh, this, this concept of, of the yoke there is an interesting one, um, to come and learn of Jesus. Because I don't know a whole lot about farming, but I know that a yoke is something that you can, you can put two, uh, typically cows or ox or animals together and, and have double the power that one would have, right? You can, and from what I understand, a lot of times um, I've seen it in, um, in Africa at various places, uh, not in the city, but out, out more in the villages. Um, I guess they'll, they'll take a younger uh, cow or ox and pair it with an older experienced one, and that's a way of, of learning, Right to help that younger one to, to be trained up and understand. Okay, here when this is on you, here's what you do, and when he does, when the guy behind does this or this, here's how you respond. It's an interesting picture to think about that because it's like Jesus is telling us to to step into the to that yoke with him. Come and learn of me, and I will give you rest. Like that's that. Follow me, right? Follow Christ. He's gonna. 
be with us. We're going to be co-laborers with Christ. All right, the next one, um, sacrifice to gain, Matthew 13. It's this concept that Jesus gives. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a man who sees a treasure buried in a field and for sorrow goes and sells what he has. Is that what it says? For joy. Yeah, there you go. I, I, I switched the words there. It says it's like a, a, a treasure buried in a field and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has just to buy that field. He doesn't look at it and go, I have to give up all that just to get that. Like, okay, look, can we negotiate here? Like, that's not the picture. It's, and that's, that seems like what the, the rich young man wanted to do. Like, Really, Jesus? Like, look, I've, like, here's the whole list. Like uh, our sister back there said, here's everything I've done right. I, I actually have to do this too? And, it's, and the picture, Jesus is like, no, the ones, it's, it's the Zacchaeuses who say, oh, that's the kingdom? That's the treasure? Okay, what, where, how, help me, I'm, I'm going to get rid of it. I, I want to get rid of everything. It's this joyful excitement to say, I'm going to go and buy, buy, do whatever it takes to buy that field, or it's that pearl of great price, right? It's this concept of sacrifice to gain. But many times, the way that Christianity, especially in East Africa, um, in my experience, many times the way that Christianity is presented to people is, hey, Jesus is going to fix all your problems. It's the prosperity gospel. You're going give to your, give your life to Jesus, plant your seed, and he's going to bring the increase. If you give your money here and do this and do that, you're God's going to bless you and, and give you your best life now and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not what Jesus calls us to. It's a call to sacrifice, to lose our life, to actually find life in Jesus, the Messiah. Um, the, to reiterate the point, Matthew 16, take up your cross daily and follow after me is what Jesus says. We have to take up our cross. And I think I mentioned, I can't remember if it was last session or the, the first one, but Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross when he made this statement. And I wonder what the disciples were thinking when he said this and then to actually see the reality of what he meant. Yes, go ahead. Sure. So what do you say to someone if you go up to them and say, you know, you present them the gospel and they ask you, like, how is this going to help me? Or why, why would I want to do this thing that's actually harder? My life is already so hard. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's one that I'll, I'll probably try to answer more fully um, in one of our upcoming sessions when we actually talk about the gospel of the kingdom and how to... Um, ways of presenting that and, and combating, not combating, but uh, when you have situations like that. Um, but the important thing, I'll give you just a, a brief answer, is when sometimes it can be hard because if we're going out to evangelize, a lot of times people have like an agenda. Okay, I got to I gotta win souls or I got to get somebody to come to church. I got to like, I'm, we got to, it's all about the results. And that doesn't seem to be Jesus or the disciples' mindset. The, the mindset seems to be, 
relevant to whatever need happens to be in front of them at that time. And I think that that's one where prayer and grace and the Holy Spirit will give you the things that you need in the midst of that moment to be able to minister to whatever need, whether that's an, addic an addiction or an abusive relationship or whatever challenge, uh, challenging situation that's in front of you. Um, I think God will give us the, the grace that we need in that time to minister to that person to help the message itself be be relevant, not just relevant in a in an abstract way that hey Jesus loves you and and he does want to save you you know he doesn't want any to perish I mean there's that general call but actually to make it specific and relevant to that individual so I'll, I'll give you just kind of a, a brief answer there for now if that's okay um, all right uh, and then <clears throat> lastly Matthew twenty eight nineteen which um, I'm surprised we haven't even got to this yet in our theme of discipleship, but I mean, this is, the, this is the great commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to Jesus, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is this ability to cleanse and enter into the kingdom. It's what the, when Jesus has this, new birth conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, the new birth is grounded in the context of baptism. So just to review, con con oops, contrasting the Romans road to the Matthew road, let's just call it the Jesus road to salvation. <laughs> the Jesus road to salvation because notice what Jesus doesn't say when the, when the rich young man comes to him and literally specifically says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, actually, it's quite simple. Um, pray this prayer. <laughs> Recognize all your faults. Um, pray this prayer. Ask me to come into your heart, and, um, and I'll forgive you of your sins, and, and you'll, you'll inherit eternal life. That's, Jesus actually says the hard thing that needs to be done for that person to become a recipient. So to recap that, it's a call to repent and follow. And to follow, we have to be fishers of men. We've been, think about it in these terms. We have been made right to help put the world right. It's that whole concept of thinking about salvation, of being saved from something for something. And the way that we can, can do that is, is through various good deeds and, and things that we can do in our, in our, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities. Um, but the main work of the church is this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling a lost and broken world to its creator. Uh, it's a call to righteousness, a call to be perfect and complete, a narrow way that only a few will find. It's a call um, for obedience, to find life and love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a call to lose your life to come to Jesus and learn to sacrifice so we can gain and to take up your cross and follow Jesus and baptism to cleanse and to enter the kingdom. All right, run short on time again. We have about 15 minutes. Um, I want to talk briefly about citizens in the kingdom of God. What does citizen, citizenship look like? This is kind of more of that, if we think about it in phases, this is kind of that second phase, this we are being saved. So we've been saved, okay, but now we are being saved. So we are actively citizens. Before we were aliens, 
of the Commonwealth of Christ. Now we are recipients and participants in the Commonwealth of Christ. Um, so are we, are we present citizens? Yes or no? Yes. yes, right? Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is inviting people to become followers in his nation. Um, if that's true, which we all just said yes to, uh, what role do I play in maintaining my citizenship? We're going to go quickly through this so we can, I can try to get to the, to the end of the lesson. So maybe write these questions down as uh, points to think about. So are we present citizens? So if your answer is yes to that, um, which I believe to be the correct answer, then if so, what role do you or what role do I play in maintaining my citizenship? Um, this is put very well as we think about John 15. What does it mean to remain as a branch on the vine? To abide in Christ. Very good. Uh, can we have dual citizenship? Uh, dual citizenship means you have citizenship of two countries. So, for example, uh, Carol, my daughter, she's a American citizen, but she's also a Ugandan citizen. So now thinking about that in the terms of the kingdom of God, if we have two kingdoms, can we have... Can we keep our citizenship and our foot in the world at the same time keeping our foot and having our citizenship in the kingdom of God? Does that work? Uh, a lot of people have tried to, to blur those lines over the, over the years and, and um, how uh, we've seen how that, how that plays out in some instances and circumstances. Um, so can we have dual citizenship? And then lastly, can I give up my citizenship in the kingdom of God? Um, you know, and this kind of plays on this part of, about maintaining our citizenship. So if, if, if I have a part to play in this tremendous privilege and gift and opportunity of redemption that Christ has offered me, what role do I play in, in uh, participating in that? And can I give up that, that citizenship? So with that, we're going to go to John 15. Um, I think it worked out well that Brother Finney chose that passage as uh, the inductive Bible study this morning. You guys didn't plan that? We did not, no. I don't, all three of us the whole week haven't, don't, haven't really looked at each other's notes or, or have an idea of what each other's doing, other than the basic themes that, you know, titles of making disciples, study like a disciple, and be a disciple. Um, so John chapter 15. <clears throat> We'll go quickly since you guys dived into it uh, this morning. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch uh, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So going back to this question real quick of maintaining our citizenship, what does a branch need to do to, to remain abiding in the vine? To bear fruit, Right. So now, obviously, and, and maybe you guys can continue your, your inductive study as you go home, um, but we need to bring more definition. Okay, well, what does it mean to bear fruit, and how do I get pruned, and how do we make sure that we're um, proving to be his disciples? You are already clean because, the word, uh, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. This is a very important thing, guys. We can't do it in our own strength. Many times we try to, many times I try to, and it just, it does not work. We have to be 
relying on the strength of Christ. We have to be abiding in him to be able to produce the things that he wants to produce. Um, As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, Jesus is getting real straightforward here, right? This, by the way, I think this is one of the best passages to think about salvation as in the, the present tense um, form of salvation is this analogy, excuse me, this analogy that Jesus is giving here. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So going back to our question here, can someone give up their citizenship? Yes. Well, absolutely, right? I mean, you can be, and, and this is where it gets a little bit hard depending on various theological frameworks and, 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 and doctrines and things like that. Like you had mentioned earlier, friends that you've had conversations with, Jesus didn't give the indication that this was like a fake branch on the vine. He says branches on the vine that aren't bearing fruit. He didn't. He, these are branches that are attached to the vine. They're supposed to yield fruit, and they don't. And what happens? They're actually cut off. You don't cut a fake branch off, right? This is a branch that's on the vine. It's not that they, well, they didn't really have salvation. They thought they had it, but they didn't really have it or understand or know the gift of Christ. No, Jesus says they were a branch. They get cut off. And they're cast into the fire. Uh, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they were burned. Or excuse me, they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus is expressing the will of the Father here. The goal is that we live lives that are producing fruit. Go back to that whole framework we talked about yesterday with creation to new creation in the garden. This whole be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is how we, how we become image bearers of Christ. We are his representatives here on earth. Jesus is the expressed image of God. And he's now enabled us, given us a, new, a renewed humanity in him that we can now show forth uh, the praises of him who called us out of darkness. He's the true vine, guys, the true vine. Where Israel failed, Jesus has succeeded. <clears throat> okay, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I think I'll stop right there for John 15. Continue to unpack John chapter 15 this passage, guys. It is so dense and so rich and so full of of amazing truths about the reality of being a part of God's kingdom. And understanding this concept of, of love, I mean, if if you set the expectation in your mind and think every day, I'm going to do 
today I'm gonna, I, as I, as you know, you wake up in the morning, you know, and today I'm going to do the best that I can to love God and love others. Like on those two commandments, hang all the commandments. Like the, we have the greatest, the great commission in Matthew 28 and the greatest command, right? And the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's easier said than done, right? Relationships are messy. Relationships are complex. Um, flesh is, is complex and we, we, we get offended. We get uh, angry. We get, you know, we have emotions. We have things we have to sort through. So I, it's, not, it's not a simple thing. It seems, it, it seems simple. Oh, yeah, love God and love others. That's not so hard. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, it's very hard to do. But that's the expectation. We have to crucify the flesh. All right. <clears throat> Continuing on, um, there's, another, there's another statement in the book of Matthew where in thinking about this fruit-bearing concept and Jesus being the true vine and, and thinking about the Old Testament scriptures about the vine, um, a branch of Jesse, and, and this fruit production that's supposed to be happening out of God's covenant people. Um, there's something that Jesus says specifically in Matthew chapter 21, and it's, it's a very striking verse, but he's, he's talking to the, to the Jews, to the Pharisees, and he says that the kingdom of God will be taken from you, and then what does he say? And it will be given to a nation bringing forth its fruit. The kingdom of God will be taken from you. So he's saying you've lost it. Just before that, he gives that um, uh, that, that parable or that teaching, that analogy of, of these, uh, these two hired hands these, uh, uh, in the vineyard. Uh, one who, who comes and uh, they, um, they basically, let me go, let's turn to that passage. There's a few different vineyard passages. So Matthew 21 is... Okay, so he says there in verse 33, here, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who, plant, who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went out to a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dresser that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dresser took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Again, he, he sent... Uh, other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them then last of all he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son but when the vine dresser saw the son they said among themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and seize his inheritance so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard to kill him therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will they do to the vine dressers and they replied to Jesus they said he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. And then if you jump down to 43, that's when he says, Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth its fruits. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He who does not bear fruit is taken away. Just as Israel, we can't we can't think that we're gonna have some sort of if 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 Israel if if Israel 
gets cut off, the grafted branches can be cut off, right? And so the church is this new nation, this new nation that Jesus is establishing as he enters into the world and he's calling men to follow me. I will make you fishers of men because Jesus is building a nation. And that nation is the church. And you and I get to be recipients in this kingdom. But it comes with a cost. It comes with its demands on our life. And if we're not yielding its fruit, we can't expect to receive its benefits. One last parable I'll, I'll close with before time ends is the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, for us, but this is a parable where Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is is like a man who comes and he calls his servants to him and he delivers to them his goods. To one he gives five, to another two, and to another one, and immediately he goes on a journey. Now to the one who had five, he went and he earned five more. To the one who had two, he likewise went and gained two more. Now, to the one who had one, he knew that his master was, was a man that was, was wise, and he wanted to be careful, and so he took his, the, the goods of his master, and he, he dug a hole, and he buried it, and he hid it. Now, eventually, this master came, and he called his servants because he wanted to settle accounts. And to the one who had five, he came and said, Master, look, you deliver to me five, and I've returned to you five more. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. And the one who had two likewise came and said, Master, you delivered to me two, and here I have gained two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. But to the one who had one, Master, I knew you to be, to be a harsh a hard man, and uh, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And, and so I, I took and I, I hid what you gave me. But look, I have what, what you gave me. Here it is. I, it's, nothing's happened to it. And he gives it back to him. And what does he say? You wicked and lazy servant. You should have at least deposited my money with the banker so that I could have mine back with interest. Now take that unprofitable servant, cast him into outer darkness, take his, give it to the one who has ten. For to him who has, more will be given, but to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is a very powerful parable. And Jesus isn't talking about money. When he says, take and deposit my money with the bankers, this story, this parable is not about money and how we handle our finances. Can you make some practical applications? Sure. But Jesus begins saying that this is about what? The kingdom of heaven. This is, a, this is about the kingdom of God. And this is a, a master who comes from a far journey and he calls servants to himself and he delivers something to them. Well, who is that master? Is there, can we think of somebody who came a very far distance and called people and delivered things to them? Who is that? Jesus, right? 
Jesus is that master who has come and he called his servants and he didn't just leave them empty-handed. He actually gave them something. And, and it says each according to their ability. So to one five, to one two, and to another one. Each according to their ability. And he, and he, didn't, he didn't pull out a whole list of expectations and say, okay, now um, you with the five, here's this, 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 and I want you to make sure you're doing this, and you with two, this. He just, he gives it to them. They receive it. Now, the one who has five, he knows the value of what, he, what he's received. He, he understands the measure of the kingdom of God that has been bestowed upon him and that he holds in his hands. And that within that is, is life and salvation and all that, it, that. He knows that what he has is meant to yield and produce something. And so he just goes, it says he goes out and he's able to multiply, to double what he received because he understood what he had. And same thing for the two. Whatever giftings and talents and whatever he has received, he's utilized it to the best of his ability to go out and do something with it and, it, and it yields fruit. Now, the one who had one, he didn't throw it in the gutter. He didn't despise it, but he, he just sat on it, right? He just said, let me, let me just keep it safe. I'm I'm saved. I have my salvation. It's right here. I don't want to. I don't want to tarnish it. I don't want it to get dirty. I don't want it to get dents and dings and you know because because if I if I actually go outside and do something with it you know who knows what might maybe I'll lose it maybe I'll maybe I'll mess it up I just I want to keep it safe and you know because I know I know that this the master you know he he has high expectations and and I just might mess something up. So I'm just going to hold on to it. I'll keep it safe. And then when he comes, I'm sure he won't be mad because I'll just be able to, to give it back to him when he gets here and, and show that, look, it, it's, it's safe. I kept it safe for you. That's not how it worked out. He didn't understand what he has, right? He didn't understand that. We're saved from something for something. He didn't understand that it's meant to produce something, that we are to yield fruit unto God. We are separated, not for the sake of separation, we're separated unto God for his purposes. And his purposes are to be fruitful and to yield something into this world, into this good world that he's created. He wants us to be his representation. Paul talks about that to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. In the fire department, <clears throat> we have we, we used uh, a, a manifold. So anytime I, I say that verse, what, pic, what I picture in my mind as a manifold is, is this apparatus. It's a water apparatus. And, and uh, what, what it does is it allows you um, the ability to, to attack uh, a large fire from many different angles. So a manifold is something where you would connect to a high-powered water source uh, with a large five-inch, minimum five-inch diameter ho hose, and it has one inlet, but it has several outlets. And so the ability is that you have a raging fire in front of you and one little hose is not going to do much. But you can have this one source where you've got a ton of water coming in and you've got several different people 
connecting different hoses so you can attack it from different places. Like that's the picture I get in my mind when, I, when it says like the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church because that wisdom that comes from God, that salvation, it comes from God. It's not about us, but it's meant to do something to help us actually distinguish the fire and to do something in this world, in the broken and lost world that's around us. And, and the sooner we grasp that, the more effective we're going to be able to be. I hope that none of us are those who, who are, have just said, okay, let me just keep it safe. I don't want to mess it up. And I've thought about what Jesus means, and I, I don't know. I, I, I'll just be honest. I don't know when he says, deposit my money with the banker so I could have back mine with interest. I don't know fully what he means with that, but what I think he means like I said, this is my opinion. What I think he means is that why didn't you just build up the church? Labor from within. Like if we think about what interest does, you know, you, you put money in something and, and it's something that builds from within itself. And so, you know, the one who had five, maybe he was some gifted evangelist. Maybe he was a major disciple maker. Maybe he was, who knows, whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever measure, according to the ability, whatever measure he had, he labored. Same with the two. And the one who had one, at least do something. We can't do nothing. If we all sit here and raise our hands and say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can't sit back and do nothing. You have to do something. And sometimes we might misstep. Sometimes we might be like, well, that was a failed attempt. Attempt That didn't work out. But we're doing something. And we're learning. I know for me personally, I probably have, have learned more from my failures than from my successes. Um, you know, it, that's what it takes to get to that point is that you usually, usually when you look at people who are effective and successful and whatever the case, it's because behind them is a ton of failures, probably more than double of, of the successes that they may make in their life. But the fact is that we're doing something. So that's my prayer and that's my hope for us here this week, that when we talk about these things, when we pray about them, when we think about them, as we hear these teachings throughout this week, that we don't just walk away and do nothing. Because Jesus wants us to do something. And maybe that can be your prayer. Lord, what is it that I need to do? What step do I need to take? Don't, don't get too caught up in where you hope to be and want to be. Don't get too caught up in maybe where others, the expectations others are placing on you. What does Jesus want you to do today? Right here, right now, with what you have. If you want to make disciples, as long as you, you're, you're breathing, there's people around you. There's probably someone that you can think of that you could st share the story of Christ, that you could share your testimony, that you can talk about the breakthroughs that you've had in your life because of what Christ has done for you. So with that, let's close, and I'll turn the time back over. Let me, uh, let's close in prayer, and then I'll... Okay, we'll do that. Let's pray. Gracious, mighty Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you 
for your goodness. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for your son Jesus, and for your kingdom. Father, I pray that we can more fully embrace the things of your kingdom, that we can, we can truly know and understand what we have, that we, we don't just sit on it, we don't just bury it, we don't just protect it, but that we actually understand that what you've given to us is meant to produce and yield some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, and that you're calling us to do something. Help us, Father, to have the faith to step out of the boat and onto the water, to recognize that many times it doesn't make sense, all the time it doesn't make sense to be in the middle of a lake or an ocean or some large body of water. It never makes sense to, to put your foot outside of a boat and to actually step onto the water, but that's what you call us to, to step into the unknown, to step into the uncertainty, and know and understand that we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we can seek first the kingdom of God with a single eye. And Father, we, we know that we need your Holy Spirit. It's these things that cause us to understand and recognize more fully the need of you in our lives that apart from you, we can do nothing unless we abide in the vine. So, Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, that you've made, us, uh, made a way for us to be reconciled to you, that you have showed us what humanity is capable of doing when fully surrendered to the Father. Help us, Lord, to open our lives completely to Christ. In Jesus' name, we ask. And we want to pray and bless the food, um, ask that you would bless the food this afternoon, and thank you for the provisions of it. May your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.